Section 6 of the Satyricon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denny Sayers. The Satyricon by Gaius Petronius Arbiter. Translated by W. C. Firebaugh. Volume 2. THE DINNER OF TRIMACHIO CHAPTERS 38 THROUGH 44 CHAPTER THE 38th And don't get the idea that he buys anything. Everything is produced at home. Wool, pitch, pepper. If you ask for hen's milk, you would get it. Because he wanted his wool to rival other things in quality, he bought rams at Tarentum, and sent them into his flock with a slap on the arse. He had bees brought from Attica, so he could produce Attic honey, at home, and as a side issue, so he would improve the native bees by crossing with the Greek. He even wrote to India for mushroom seed one day, and he hasn't a single mule that wasn't sired by a wild ass. Do you see all those cushions? Not a single one, but what is stuffed with either purple or scarlet wool. He hasn't anything to worry about. Look out how you criticize those other fellow freedmen friends of his. They're all well-heeled. See the fellow reclining at the bottom of the end couch? He's worth his eight hundred thousand any day, and he rose from nothing. Only a short while ago he had to carry faggots on his own back. I don't know how true it is, but they say that he snatched off an incubo's hat and found a treasure. For my part, I don't envy any man anything that was given him by a god. He still carries the marks of his box on the ear. And he isn't wishing himself any bad luck. He posted this notice only the other day. Caius Pomponius Diogenes has purchased a house, this garnet for rent after the Kalends of July. What do you think of the fellow in the freedman's place? He has a good front, too, hasn't he? And he has a right to. He saw his fortune multiplied tenfold but he lost it heavily through speculation at the last. I don't think he can call his very hair his own, and it is no fault of his either. By Hercules, it isn't. There's no better fellow anywhere. His rascally freedman cheated him out of everything. You know very well how it is. Everybody's business is nobody's business. And once let... Business affairs start to go wrong. Your friends will stand from under. Look at the fix he's in, and think what a fine trade he had. He used to be an undertaker. He dined like a king. Boars roasted whole in their shaggy hides. Bakers, pastries, birds, cooks, and bakers. More wine was spilled under his table than another has in his wine cellar. His life was like a pipe dream, not like any ordinary mortal's. 
When his affairs commenced to go wrong, he was afraid his creditors would guess that he was bankrupt. He advertised an auction, and this was his placard. Julius Proculus will sell at auction his superfluous furniture. Chapter the Thirty-Ninth Trimalchio broke in upon this entertaining gossip, for the course had been removed, and the guests, happy with wine, had started a general conversation, lying back upon his couch. "'You ought to make this wine go down pleasantly,' he said. "'The fish must have something to swim in. "'But I say, you didn't think I'd be satisfied with any such dinner "'as you saw on the top of that tray. "'Is Ulysses no better known? "'Well, well, we shouldn't forget our culture, even at dinner. "'May the bones of my patron rest in peace.' He wanted me to become a man among men. No one can show me anything new, and that little tray has proved it. This heaven, where the gods live, turns into as many different signs, and sometimes into the ram. Therefore, whoever is born under that sign will own many flocks and much wool, a hard head, a shameless brow, and a sharp horn, a great many school-teachers, and rambunctious butter-ins, are born under that sign. We applauded the wonderful penetration of our astrologer, and he ran on. Then the whole heaven turns into a bull-calf, and the kickers and herdsmen, and those who see to it that their own bellies are full, come into the world. Teams of horses and oxen are born under the twins, and well-hung wenchers, and those who be dung both sides of the wall. I was born under the crab, and therefore stand on many legs, and own much property on land and sea, for the crab is as much at home on one as he is in the other. For that reason, I put nothing on that sign for fear of weighing down my own destiny. Bulldozers and gluttons are born under the lion, and women and fugitives and chain-gangs are born under the virgin. Butchers and perfumers are born under the balance, and all who think that it is their business to straighten things out. Poisoners and assassins are born under the scorpion. Cross-eyed people who look at the vegetables and sneak away with the bacon are born under the archer. Horny-handed sons of toil are born under Capricorn. Bartenders and pumpkin heads are born under the water carrier. <laughs> and caterers and rhetoricians are born under the fishes. And so the world turns round just like a mill, and something bad always comes to the top, and men are either being born, or else they're dying. As to the sod and the honeycomb in the middle, for I never do anything without a reason, Mother Earth is in the center, round as an egg, and all that is good is found in her, just like it is in a honeycomb.
Chapter the Fortieth Bravo! we yelled, and with hands uplifted to the ceiling, we swore that such fellows as Hipparchus and Aratus were not to be compared with him. At length some slaves came in, who spread upon the couches some coverlets, upon which were embroidered nets and hunters, stalking their game with boar spears, and all the paraphernalia of the chase. We knew not what to look for next, until a hideous uproar commenced just outside the dining-room door, and some Spartan hounds commenced to run around the table all of a sudden. A tray followed upon them, upon which was served a wild boar of immense size, wearing a liberty cap upon its head, and from its tusks hung two little baskets of woven palm-fibre, one of which contained Syrian dates, the other Theban. Around it hung little suckling pigs made from pastry, signifying that this was a brood sow with her pigs at suck. It turned out that these were souvenirs intended to be taken home. When it came to carving our boar, our old friend Carver, who had carved the capons, did not appear, but in his place a great bearded giant, with bands around his legs, and wearing a short hunting cape, in which a design was woven. Drawing his hunting knife, he plunged it fiercely into the boar's side, and some thrushes flew out of the gash. <laughs> Fowlers, ready with their rods, caught them in a moment, as they fluttered around the room, and Trimalchio ordered one to each guest remarking, Notice what fine acorns this forest-bred boar fed on. And as he spoke, some slaves removed the little baskets from the tusks, and divided the Syrian and Theban dates equally among the diners. CHAPTER THE FORTY-FIRST Getting a moment to myself, in the meantime, I began to speculate as to why the boar had come with a liberty cap upon his head. After exhausting my invention with a thousand foolish guesses, I made bold to put the riddle which teased me to my old informant. Why, sure, he replied, even your slave could explain that. There is no riddle, everything's as plain as day. This boar made his last bow as the last course of yesterday's dinner, and was dismissed by the guests. So he comes back <laughs> as a freedman. <laughs> I damned my stupidity and refrained from asking any more questions, for fear I might leave the impression that I had never dined among decent people before. While we were speaking, a handsome boy covered with vine-leaves and ivy, passed grapes around in a little basket, and impersonated Boscus happy, Boscus drunk, and Boscus dreaming, reciting, in the meantime, his master's verses in a shrill voice. Trimalchio turned to him and said, Dionysus, be thou liber, whereupon the boy immediately snatched the cap from the boar's head and put it upon his own. At that, 
Trimalchio added, You can't deny that my father's middle name was Liber. We applauded Trimalchio's conceit heartily, and kissed the boy as he went around. Trimalchio retired to the close stool. After this course, and we having freedom of action with the tyrant away, began to draw the other guests out. After calling for a bowl of wine, Dama spoke up. A day's nothing at all. It's night before you can turn around, so you can't do better than to go right to the dining room from your bed. It's been so cold that I can hardly get warm in a bath, but a hot drink's as good as an overcoat. <laughs> I've had some long pegs, and between you and me, I'm a bit groggy. The booze has gone to my head. Chapter the Forty-Second here Seleucus took up the tale. I don't bathe every day, he confided. A bath uses you up like a fuller. Water's got teeth, and your strength wastes away a little every day. But when I've downed a pot of mead, I tell the cold to suck my cock. <laughs> I couldn't bathe today anyway, <laughs> because I was at a funeral. Dandy fellow he was, too. Good old Chrysanthus slipped his wind. Why, only the other day he said good morning to me, and I almost think I'm talking to him now. God's truth! We're only blown-up bladders strutting around. We're less than flies, for they have some good in them. But we're only bubbles, and supposing he had not kept to such a low diet, why, not a drop of water or a crumb of bread so much as passed his lips for five days. And yet he joined the majority. Too many doctors did away with him, or rather his time had come, for a doctor is not good for anything except for a consolation to your mind. He was well carried out, anyhow, in the very bed he slept in during his lifetime, and he was covered with a splendid pall. The morning was tastefully managed. He had freed some slaves, even though his wife was sparing with her tears, and what if he hadn't treated her so well? But when you come to women, women all belong to the kite species. No one ought to waste a good turn upon one of them. It's just like throwing it down a well. <laughs> An old love's like a cancer. Chapter the Forty-Third He was becoming very tiresome, and Phileros cried out, Let's think about the living. He has what was coming to him. He lived respectably, and respectably he died. What's he got to kick about? He made his own pile from an ass, and <laughs> would pick a quadrants out of a dunghill with his teeth, any old time. And he grew richer and richer, of course, just like a honeycomb. I expect that he left all of a hundred thousand, by Hercules, I do, all in cold cash, too. But I've eaten dog's tongue, and must speak the truth. He was foul-mouthed, had a ready tongue. He was a troublemaker, and no man. Now his brother was a good fellow, a friend to his friend, free-handed, 
and he kept a liberal table. He picked a loser at the start, but his first vintage set him upon his legs, for he sold his wine at the figure he demanded, and what made him hold his head higher still, he came into a legacy from which he stole more than had been left to him. Then that fool friend of yours, in a fit of anger at his brother, willed his property away to some son of a bitch or other, who he was, I don't know. But when a man runs away from his own kin, he has a long way to go. And what's more, he had some slaves who were ear specialists at the keyhole, and they did him a lot of harm. For a man won't prosper when he believes, on the spot, every tale that he hears, a man in business especially. Still, he had a good time as long as he lived, for happy's the fellow who gets the gift, not the one it was meant for. He sure was fortune's son. Lead turned to gold in his hands. It's easy enough when everything squares up and runs on schedule. How old would you think he was? Seventy and over. But he was as tough as horn, carried his age well, and was as black as a crow. I knew the fellow for years and years, and he was a lecher to the very last. I don't believe that even the dog in his house escaped his attentions. <laughs> By Hercules, I don't. And what a boy-lover he was. Saw a virgin in every one he met. Not that I blame him, though, for it's all he could take with him. <laughs> Chapter the 44th Phaleros had his say, and Gadimedes exclaimed, You gabble away about things that don't concern heaven or earth, and none of you cares how the price of grain pinches. I couldn't even get a mouthful of bread today by Hercules, I couldn't. How the drought does hang on. We've had famine for a year. If the damned ediles would only get what's coming to them, they graft with the bakers, scratch my arse, and I'll scratch yours. That's the way it always is. The poor devils are out of luck, but the jaws of the capitalists are always keeping the Saturnalia. If only we had such lion-hearted sports as we had when I first came from Asia. That was the life. If the flour was not the very best, they would beat up those belly-robbing grafters till they looked like Jupiter had been at them. How well I remember Sophinius. He lived near the old arch when I was a boy. For a man, he was one hot proposition. Wherever he went, the ground smoked. But he was square, dependable, a friend to a friend. You could safely play Mora with him, in the dark. But how he did peel them in the town hall. <laughs> he spoke no parables, not he. He did everything straight from the shoulder, and his voice roared like a trumpet in the forum. He never sweat nor spat. I don't know, but I, I think he had a strain of the Asiatic in him, and how civil and friendly-like he was in returning everyone's greeting, 
called us all by name, just like he was one of us. And so provisions were cheap as dirt in those days. The loaf you got for an ass you couldn't eat, not even if someone helped you, but you see them no bigger than a bull's eye now. And the hell of it is that things are getting worse every day. This colony grows backwards like a calf's tail. Why do we have to put up with an edile here, who's not worth three Caunian figs, and who thinks more of an ass than of our lives? He has a good time at home, and his daily income's more than another man's fortune. I happen to know where he got a thousand gold pieces. If we had any nuts, he'd not be so damned well pleased with himself. Nowadays men are lions at home, and foxes abroad. What gets me is that I've already eaten my old clothes, and if this high cost of living keeps on, I'll have to sell my cottages. What's going to happen to this town if neither gods nor men take pity on it? May I never have any luck if I don't believe all this comes from the gods. For no one believes that heaven is heaven. No one keeps a fast. No one cares a hang about Jupiter. They all shut their eyes and count upon their own profits. In the old days, the married women, in their stolas, climbed the hill in their bare feet, pure in heart, and with their hair unbound, and prayed to Jupiter for rain, and it would pour down in bucketfuls, then or never, and they'd all come home wet as drowned rats. But the gods all have the gout now, because we are not religious, and so our fields are burning up. End of section 6